Hi, everyone. Welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Salerson here in Memphis, Tennessee, as the Pelicans get ready to take on the Memphis Grizzlies on MLK Day. It's an afternoon affair, 4.30 p.m. Central. And, of course, we'll have the call on the radio on WRNO and the Pelicans Radio Network. It's nationally televised on TNT. No local television today on Fox Sports New Orleans. But, of course, the main story this morning, man, I can't get over it. That game yesterday in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome as the Saints fall to the Los Angeles Rams in overtime, 26-23. to The Rams are off to Super Bowl 53, and they'll take on the New England Patriots, who beat the Chiefs in overtime as well, 37-31. to I believe yesterday was the first time in postseason history that two games have gone to overtime. Um, that's unbelievable. And if I'm wrong, at least it's definitely in the conference championship game. So the fact that there were two Two unbelievable finishes is, is just crazy, and I know Saints fans are really down right now after the uh, officiating yesterday, especially the blown call, of course, there late in the fourth quarter, the pass interference call that should have been called on um, Tommy Lee Lewis from uh, Mikel Roby Coleman, and of course then after that, the Rams get plenty of time to go down the field and force overtime, and then in overtime, Drew Brees throws an interception on the first possession and the Rams go down the field, or not that far down the field, Greg Zerline, an unbelievable kicker, hits a 57-yarder to win the game. I mean, there's so many emotions right now going through that Saints locker room, through the city, especially with how that game ended. It's going to be tough, and it's going to take a long time for everyone to kind of get over what happened yesterday. But once that happens, you have to look back and really have to be proud of the Saints team and how they played this season and what they've accomplished a 13 and 3 record number 1 seed overall in the NFC 6 and 2 at home and you played your your hearts out against the Eagles and beat them you played your hearts out against the Rams it was looking good early up 13 nothing after one but unfortunately the way it ended was not how you wanted to and now you kind of have to build on that tons of talent still on this team of course you have your running back core of Ingram Kamara you have Michael Thomas of course you have number nine and Drew Brees the defense and how much has stepped up this year with Demario Davis AJ Klein I mean that defensive line with Sheldon Rankins and Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport I mean you can go through the list of players that the Saints have and the future is bright for them that this is not going to be the last time they're going to be making it into the postseason and maybe this far into the postseason hopefully farther come next season but it was a nice stepping stone for them and of course no one wants to hear that on this Monday morning but you have to be proud of this team and I know the city is proud and the fans should be proud with that atmosphere yesterday I was listening to Jared Goff and he talked about how that was the loudest environment he's ever played in in any time during his football career whether it was high school college or in the NFL the fans have a lot to be proud of as far as how they showed up not only last yesterday but also the weekend before against Philadelphia. I mean, you've seen the footage of the water bottle shaking and the atmosphere and you know how much it affected. Jared Goff had to put tape on his ears on the helmet just because so he can hear, and it caused a timeout that they had to use. It caused a false start penalty, an offsides penalty. I mean, you name it. The fans had such a huge impact on the game. So for all those there and, of course, all those watching and you all should be proud of the season you had as far as showing up to games, being loud, and you really changed the course of a lot of games for the Saints teams. You know they feed off that energy, and again, you all should be proud of yourselves for um, that atmosphere yesterday because, of course, we weren't there, the Pelicans, but we were all watching here in Memphis, and 
you can just tell how loud it was. And uh, we wish we could have been there to support the Saints. But, um, again, a, a fantastic season for the Saints. Not the end-all goal that you wanted. But, again, future is bright for the Saints team. And now you look forward to next season and what will happen. Of course, we'll ch talk with John DeShazer. Probably be our final conversation with him for a little bit, as we always do on this Monday, to talk about Sunday's game. We will get into the referee situation. I don't want to avoid it. I know it's a tough conversation to have. Um, based on what, what position we're in here working for the team, but I think it's something you have to address, and we'll do so with John DeShazer. We'll also address kind of what happened with the Saints down the stretch and into overtime. I think that has to be addressed as well. Um, but I'll also talk to J.D. about the atmosphere in the, inside the Dome because it was rocking yesterday, and you can tell just based on everyone's tweets and videos how loud it was. So, again, something you all should be very proud of. So we'll hear from John DeShazer today as he'll kind of put a bow on this Saints season. Um, we'll talk about the season overall with him, too, not only just a game yesterday against the Rams, and we'll get his initial thoughts on the Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Rams in Atlanta in two weeks. Of course, we will talk Pelicans today. Unfortunate news for the Pelicans. Anthony Davis out one to two weeks with that left index finger sprain. Um, it was a tough one against Portland the other night, 128-112. And AD did play the rest of the game after injuring that hand, but Obviously, X-rays, good news, came out negative, but he will miss one to two weeks, and I think we'll know more once the Pelicans head home after today. It's been 11 days, day 11 of this road trip. Pelicans are 1-3, looking to salvage the road trip against the Memphis Grizzlies. I mentioned it's nationally televised. We'll have Brian Anderson, who's calling the game for TNT today, along with Grant Hill and Ross Gold on Wude. So we'll have plenty of conversation about the Pelicans and also talk about some of the national storylines going on around the NBA with the Houston Rockets and James Harden, the Los Angeles Lakers dealing with another injury in Lonzo Ball, the Golden State Warriors adding DeMarcus Cousins back to the roster, or to the lineup, I should say so. We have plenty to talk about on today's show. Some of it is not going to be very pleasant. I completely understand, but we're all in this together. I think it's best just to even talk it out, and hopefully you all will enjoy the show a little bit and kind of get some perspective on this season as a whole and how much the Saints have to celebrate here with a fantastic season as, again, they fall to the Rams yesterday in overtime. So sit back. Hope you all are enjoying your day. I know it's tough here in the Crescent City, but here's another edition of the Black and Blue Report. John the Shazer and Brian Anderson is yours now. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sallerson. And we have to start with the New Orleans Saints again falling to the Los Angeles Rams yesterday in the Superdome, 26-23 to in overtime. John DeShazer joins me now in Studio B and JD. Man, oh man, after you've had a little bit of time to digest this game, kind of what are your initial thoughts after the tough loss of the Rams yesterday? Well, first thought is I will, um, I'd, I'd imagine that the NFL will probably have a rules change over the over the offseason <laughs> when they go to the owners' meetings because – um, that that officiating non-call is something that's going to have to be addressed at some point in time. Uh, usually when it gets to a point where uh, an error costs a team a game or something like that, then that's when the NFL kind of gets moving on something. And, and, you know, I think you can affirmatively make the argument that that non-call cost the Saints the game. They had an opportunity to, to be first and goal uh, with less than 150 left in the game. Uh, the Rams down to one timeout, so basically they could have taken three knees, probably got it down to about 10 seconds or so, and, and kicked a potential game-winning field goal, a chip shot. 
So that's one of those things that I imagine the NFL will have to address because essentially just calling the Saints up or just publicly acknowledging the obvious that that uh, there was a, an officiating error made doesn't do you any good in the aftermath. Um, it doesn't reverse the result. And now you're talking about not not regular season game five. We're talking about the NFC Championship game where a team uh, has an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and can't go because of what happened there. So I would imagine that that's going to be addressed by the league. I hope that that's something that will be addressed by the league in some form or fashion. How do you address that situation with the NFL? Do you go to the fact that maybe that play should be reviewable or maybe in the last two minutes of a game, those type of plays can be reviewable? I know it's a judgment call, J.D., but in that situation, what can the NFL do to maybe make sure that this doesn't happen again? I would I would expect to see something like you know the last two minutes of each half uh, where it will be a reviewable play. Uh, because the NFL already reviews, you know, touchdowns. They already review uh, turnovers, and I think you can add that into it. Because again, it, it's such a pivotal, a pivotal situation there, where you know that that missed judgment. It's a judgment call, but that missed judgment cost the Saints an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. And again, like I said, it's not like this is regular season game five, and you know it would be pretty, pretty awful to have it happen then. But when you're talking about the difference between going to the Super Bowl and going home and how difficult it is to get to the point where you get to the NFC Championship game, all the hardships and all the injuries and all the bumps and bruises that a team and franchise fight through on their way and to have that all go away because of because of an officiating call. Now, look, the Saints had some other opportunities in this game. They were two or five in the red zone. Uh, had they been three or five or four or five, maybe they win the game. Uh, that way they had an opportunity, had some opportunities to get some stops on the Rams on those last couple of possessions and the Rams were able to drive in the field goal range. So let's not throw those out the window. However, you still <laughs> the thing that overrides everything is that missed call. And uh, I think, you know, I think something along the lines of the last two minutes of each half would probably uh, fall in line with what would satisfy maybe the coaches and players and, and it would make the NFL look a whole lot better. I'm not sure if you were in the locker room at all after the game, but kind of what was the feeling in the locker room from some of the players as far as their reaction to that blown call late in the fourth quarter? Well, I didn't get a chance to go in there, but, you know, all of them were, you know, pretty devastated because, again, you, you're talking about, you know, it, it's hard to win a game in the NFL, and it's hard to get to the playoffs, and it's really hard to get to the NFC Championship game. And when you look at it from a reality standpoint, this is the last time the New Orleans Saints of 2018 will be together in, in, in this form. Uh, there's going to be free agency. Some guys are going to be added. Some guys are going to be subtracted. Uh, some guys are going to be released, you know, whether it's contract reasons or performance reasons. But rosters change every year. So this was the one opportunity for that team to get to the Super Bowl. Now, will the core guys be back? You know, Drew Brees and Cam Jordan and Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and you know, those guys, Demario Davis, yeah, they'll be back. But there are a lot of other guys who might not be on this roster. And so, you know, it, it's a really devastating thing as a team when you get the realization that not only will these guys not be together again, uh, but they didn't get to the ultimate goal and they felt like they had a team that was good enough to get there. So, you know, it was it was understandably uh, melancholy, uh, guys with red eyes and guys, you know, with, with voices cracking because it's an emotional time of the season when you get this far and now you 
you know, you, you're not Sisyphus. Well, I guess in a, in, in a sense you are Sisyphus. You got to go back to the bottom of the hill and start rolling that rock back up there and you hope to get, get to the top again. Let's go back to the beginning of the game, J.D. The Saints are up 13-0 after one. Rams then quarters two and three outscored the Saints 17-7. How did the Rams adjust to what the Saints were doing, and how were they able to start making that comeback there in the second and third quarter? Well, I think a big adjustment they had was uh, C.J. Anderson came in at running back because Ty Gurley was was ineffective. And they started um, a little bit. They, they protected pretty well, and, and Brandon Cooks, with that protection, Brandon Cooks, the speedster, was able to generate some separation in the secondary, and he was able – uh, to make some some chunk some chunk gains for him, and I think that was the biggest thing for him. I think offensively they started protecting pretty well, uh, even though the Saints took away the run game for the most part, but they were able to protect pretty well, and that allowed Jared Goff to get into a bit of a rhythm. And then defensively, uh, they've got a guy who is unblockable. Aaron Donald is unblockable. I hadn't, you know, if you look at any film anywhere, you hadn't seen the guy blocked all the season. I think he ended up with like two tackles. But he lived in the Saints' backfield disrupting plays. So when he didn't make the play, he disrupted it and forced it to go to an area where it probably was not designed to go. So one of his teammates was able to make the tackle. I think the Saints uh, maybe ran for like 40 – Saints ran for less than 50 yards on 21 carries. Uh, that is, you know, in fact, uh, the actual number 21 for 48. So those numbers – are not winning numbers when you're talking about playing a football game. And defensively, the Rams really got after the Saints' run game and forced the, and forced the Saints into a passing game and, and took away Michael Thomas. They were able to do what they were unable to do in the regular season game. They didn't play as much man-to-man. Uh, the Saints didn't expect to see them play as much man-to-man. And so Michael Thomas was limited in his effectiveness. Now Alvin Kamara picked up from the running back, and basically you know, his 11 catches for 96 yards well, almost extended run 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 game. So, you know, to me, a lot of those kind of count as long handoffs in the running game because of the way they utilize him. But they were able to t- to neutralize Michael Thomas, and uh, and so the Saints, you know, had to basically chip their way down the field. The Rams were saying basically, yeah, you might score, but it's going to take you 10, 12 plays to get there. We're not going to give you the quick, easy ones. We're going to make you work for it. And generally, if you're able to do that in the NFL. There's only so many sustained drives that a team's able to come up with in a game. I, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, you get a holding penalty here or there. You get a false start or, you know, you get a, a sack. But there's something that usually disrupts a drive if you have to continually drive 75, 80 yards and you got to do it in 10 plays. Uh, the law of averages doesn't work in your favor in, in those instances. So, you know, the Rams were able to tighten up defensively and offensively. I thought they got a little bit more comfortable. Uh, I think I'm going to play Monday morning quarterback here just for a second. I think this is based on also what others have said this morning. You can help me out with this, J.D. Let's go back to that drive, of course, with a blown call. But even on that first down play where Sean Payton and company call a pass play to Michael Thomas, it's incomplete. In that situation, are you trying to run the ball for three for three straight plays, or do you think it was the right call to try to make a throw there on first 10? Well, I can live with the throw. I mean, myself personally, I thought they were going to run it. Um, I didn't see any reason not to run it. But but the play that they ran, you know, Drew Brees, he just missed it. <laughs> he just missed it. Um, the play was there. Michael Thomas has the surest hands on the team, and he just threw it bad. 
And so, you know, it's it's a play that I can live with because it's a bread and butter play for them. You know, Michael Thomas on the slant with the great hands and Drew Brees generally with the great pass. And, and unfortunately, you know, this one time they didn't hook up on it. But, you know, it, it's something that they've run a billion times probably when you're talking about practice and OTAs and, you know, off-season workouts and all those kinds of things. So I, I can live with that. Uh, I can live with that play. We'll talk about overtime now as far as the Saints' first possession, that interception, what did you see on that play? I felt like that was the Rams' defensive line that kind of uh, flushed Drew Brees out of the pocket and made him make that uncomfortable throw. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and and that's a, uh, that's the thing. Again, you know, I don't think it was Aaron Donald who got to him. It might have been Michael Brockers. I can't remember exactly who got to him. Uh, actually, no, it was um, it was uh, Dante Fowler who got to him and, and rushed him and, and got to him and, and, and forced a bad throw. And because of that, you know, you get end up with the interception. But again, I think that's part and parcel because of those guys they had inside. And Dominican Sue had a sack and a half. Uh, Aaron Donald, again, didn't get, come up with a sack, but he lived in the backfield. And those are the issues uh, that they present to any team, not just the Saints. They present that to every team. And they had some of those, you know, pressures when they were here the first time. They lost 45-35, but Aaron Donald got four hits on the quarterback. He didn't have great stats, but he had great pressure in that game. So it came to fruition again yesterday. And unfortunately, you know, Dante Fowler is able to get to Drew Brees, hit him as he's releasing. And even on that one, you know, Michael Thomas, you know, looks like he's trying to to break off his route and run a different way. He runs into the defender. I don't know if you call that pass interference or if you call that running into a defender. But, you know, the kid made a fantastic interception. He's basically lying on his back when he makes that interception. So, yeah. you know, it was one of those plays. And even with all that, you know, as Cam Jordan says for the Saints, uh, they still had an opportunity to get a stop right there, uh, to get the ball out of the Rams' hands, and, and they weren't able to do it. So, you know, you, you can you can look a lot of places uh, at what happened in that game, and there were a lot of opportunities that the Saints had for themselves where if they had, you know, taken a little bit better care of it offensively and been a little bit cleaner in the execution or if they'd been able to come up with a crucial stop defensively where, you know, maybe it makes a bigger difference in that game and then the blown call doesn't come into play at all. Let's talk about a positive from yesterday, J.D., and you can touch on it since you were there. Unfortunately, we were not there for the last two postseason games, but the atmosphere and the environment inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, just seeing what everyone, national media, local media, fans were saying, can you just talk about the environment yesterday and how loud it was and how much the fans made a difference on some plays in the game. Well, I mean, the Rams had to call some timeouts. They had, uh, you know, a couple of false start penalties. And, and those are direct crowd noise penalties uh, for that offense because they couldn't hear. Jared Goff came out and he had some tape over his ear holes like that was going to help. Um, they couldn't hear. Uh, and, and it was it was it wasn't quite as boisterous as when the dome reopened in 2006. But man, it wasn't that far from it. It was, it, you know, it was, you know, the press box was swaying and rocking, and you know, it was, it was something to behold. Uh, I know Coach Sean Payton gave you know the fans a challenge and coached them up during the week, but you know, these are knowledgeable fans. They didn't, they didn't need that, but that just stoked them up even a little bit more to know that Payton personally kind of called them out and said, "Look, this is what we want you to do," and and they and they got the memo. They heard loud and clear, and they came through loud and clear. So. It was something to behold. I mean, I, I think Jared Goff said it goes to the top of the list as the number one venue in terms of volume that, you know, being a, unable to hear. He said that he's been in, and, 
you know, I would imagine a lot of his teammates agree along with that. Even Robert Woods, who said it wasn't going to make a difference, but it made a difference. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, you always get somebody to say that kind of thing. It makes a difference uh, because it disrupted the Rams offensively, and sometimes it disrupted the Rams offensively as much or more than the Saints did defensively. It certainly made an impact, that's for sure, and you have to credit the fans for how they showed up throughout the entire season. Before we let you go, J.D., let's kind of put a bow on this Saints season and kind of give me your thoughts on how you describe it for the Saints. Obviously, 13-3, and 6-2 at home, number one seed, but again, you don't get the job done as far as going to the Super Bowl and winning it. So in your eyes or your perspective here, how would you describe this Saints season? Well, in a lot of ways, a fantastic season, a 10-game winning streak, uh, division champions for the second straight year, and that's the first time that's ever happened in franchise history, back-to-back division championships, uh, number one seed in the NFC. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, you look at all the individual accolades. For the first time, the franchise has five guys named All-Pro. Uh, a lot of things went great into this season, and unfortunately, it ends in a lot of ways in an asterisk. Um, uh, it's a lot like the 2011 season. The 2011 season, the Saints uh, went to San Francisco, lost that playoff game in a shootout, but a lot of people felt like that was a Super Bowl caliber winning team. And you get the feeling about this team. You feel like they were one step away from getting to the Super Bowl. And if they just gotten there, they'd have been able to win it. And unfortunately, it all gets tainted by by a non-call. And that's the shame of it as much as anything, to know that they were right there and all the goals that they had set for them were right there to be had. And to have it in that way, that's really going to sting. And I think Coach Payton said yesterday that maybe it'll sting him forever. And, and it probably will. I mean, that's one of those when you're, you know, if you're on this team, if you're a member of this team on this year, you know, 25 years from now, when you sit down and reminisce, you're going to be saying, man, back in 18, that was a Super Bowl team and we got robbed. And that's the feeling that you're going to have. And I think that's the feeling a lot of people are going to have about this team for a long, long time because when you, when you look across the landscape – nationally and everybody I, it, when they talk about this game that's the lead story for everybody then that tells you how big of an impact that that non-call was so yeah it was a fantastic season in a lot of ways a lot of ways but unfortunately it ends on not just a sad note but a sad note that includes an asterisk in a lot of people's minds yeah, I have to agree with you on that, J.D. It's tough that everyone's going to remember this game based on the, the refereeing, the officiating, and not um, on the game itself. Um, all right, real quick before I let you go, the future for the Saints. I know I, I don't have the list of free agency right now, but you have to like or kind of feel good about what the Saints team has in store just based on the young core they have, the running side with Kamara, Michael Thomas. Of course, the defense I thought really stepped up this year, Cam Jordan. Yeah, Demario Davis was a huge addition. A.J. Klein stepped up. Um, you kind of feel good about this team moving forward, don't you think? I feel fantastic about them. I mean, I think most of the principal characters outside of running back Mark Ingram are under contract. I think he's the, the most significant free agent. But everybody else, uh, when you're talking about the youth, we're talking about Alvin Kamara. We're talking about Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams. We're talking about Vaughn Bell, who's under contract. We're talking about Demario Davis and A.J. Klein, Alex Anzalone, Cam Jordan. You know, um, David Onyemata and Sheldon Rankins and Tyler Davidson, and you can go across the offensive line. All of these guys are under contract already. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, you're looking fantastic as a core. Drew Brees says he's going to be back for another season. Why wouldn't he? He was extremely effective this year. So why wouldn't he come back to give it another shot? So everything looks great on paper, but, 
you know, you just know, never know how these things are going to shake out in terms of injury and in terms of, you know, what happens, you know, down the line. But right now everything looks fantastic for this team, not just the immediate future, but the next, you know, three to five years, I would say because of the youth and because of these guys. I think about it, Marshawn Lattimore and Alan Kamara in their second second seasons on their rookie contracts. So those guys are fantastic players already. Now, at some point in time, you're going to have to pay the piper with those guys and Ryan Ramchek and, and, and you know, all the young talent that they have on this team. But, man, right now it's a good time to be a New Orleans Saint, and it's probably a good time to be a New Orleans Saints fan because, you know, just on paper you feel pretty good about this team in the, in, in the near future and the immediate future. Well, J.D., I was dreading this conversation yesterday after the loss, but I'm glad we had it just to kind of put a put a bow on this season and kind of put a bow on yesterday. And I know it was very difficult, you being there and having to do the post-game show and all that. But nonetheless, I really appreciate you coming on, and all, as always, all season long. I enjoyed our conversations, and now we'll focus on some Pelicans for the rest of the season. I appreciate it, my friend. Oh, no problem. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a hard conversation to have, man, because, you know, in the immediate, you know, the immediacy of it is, you know, you really, really, you know, the the things you want to say about the officiating, you can't say in, in, in a family setting. But <laughs> but when you look mm-hmm. back and you look at the big picture and you say, OK, some things, you know, unfortunately, you don't have any control over. What are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to, you know, pull the covers over your head, you know, and stay in bed the rest of the day? Or are you going to get up and you're going to, you know, find a way to, to, to move forward from it? And this team, you know, unfortunately has that task. They got to get up. They got to pull the covers back. They got to find a way to forge forward. Uh, They will uh, undoubtedly, you cannot ever forget the officiating non-call, but there were some opportunities in that game that the Saints are going to look at on film and say, you know what, if we had done this and if we had done this and if we had done this, we'd have taken out of the officials' hands and we wouldn't have had to worry about that. And that's what you have to do as a good franchise. You can't go around pointing the fingers at the officials, you know, for the next 17, you know, for the next 17 weeks or so because, you know, that doesn't do you any good. You know, there's no good that's going to come of that in the long run. The best that's going to come of that is the NFL will probably have a rules change. Other than that, they're not going to go back and replay the game or replay the quarter or anything like that. So you just got to move on from it. And unfortunately, it's a difficult thing to move on from. But hopefully it's one of those things where if it doesn't destroy you, it's going to make you a whole lot better. All right, J.D., I appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, my friend. And now it's time to turn to the Pelicans as they're in Memphis this afternoon to take on the Memphis Grizzlies. It'll be a part of TNT's MLK Day triple header. Of course, it'll start with Pelicans-Grizzlies, and then it'll feature the defending champion Warriors visiting the Lakers and then the Rockets at Sixers on Monday night. And joining me now is the voice of today's game for the Pelicans and Grizzlies. That's Brian Anderson. He'll be on the call with Grant Hill in Roz Gold on Woo Day. Brian, I really appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, man. I'm uh, I'm happy to be on with you, and I just want to give you my condolences to all the fans in New Orleans. I'm a Drew Brees fan and a Saints fan, so that was uh, that was hard to watch yesterday. So way to pick yourself up. Get I back appreciate to work today. The, I appreciate the condolences. That's definitely a tough pill to swallow here as we're trying to get over it on this Monday, that's for sure. Um, Brian, let's start with um, just as part of you being a part of this broadcast, the fact that, of course, the NBA does so much with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, there's games going on as we as we talk right now on NBA TV. And then, of course, TNT will have the triple header. But what does it mean for you, the fact that you'll be a part of the call on such a on such a big day for the league? 
Yeah, I, I love it here. This is the um, fourth consecutive year I've been in Memphis for MLK Day, and um, I, I think it's a it's a special place to be on this particular day with so much meaning. Um, last night over at the National Civil Rights Museum, um, they had a, a big symposium Q&A with a number of uh, great uh, great people, including uh, Bill Walton. Grant Hilt was over there, and um, Candace Parker, who's going to join us on the air today, our colleague at Turner. Um, so I, 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 I value this place. Matter of fact, as I'm talking to you now, uh, they're having the parade, walking through the streets of Memphis, and it's a, quite a quite a cool scene here. And um, you know, we're not too far from the Lorraine Hotel, uh, which is where Dr. King was assassinated. And so uh, Memphis has a special place in our our country's history, especially uh, when when you talk about MLK and and uh, now MLK Day, and certainly the NBA gives us and um, a great platform to be able to tell some of these stories and keep this conversation at the forefront, which it needs to be. You know, we're, we're in some trying times right now, and, um, you know, it, it feels like racism has uh, popped up again in a way that we never thought would be there, but it's kind of surfaced in a way that we um, don't appreciate and don't understand. So the more we can have these conversations and look back at our history, and certainly Martin Luther King was... Um, was a king as far as civil rights and how uh, we talk about race relations and civil rights. And, and the NBA is an extraordinary platform to be able to showcase that. And we're going to get a chance to watch some NBA basketball. And, you know, these two teams are, are struggling a little bit, but I think the, the message of the day is more important than uh, where these two teams are in the standings for our first game of the triple header. Very well said, Brian, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, we are going to get into this this game a little bit. Um, I do want to start with the Pelicans while we're talking about the game today, and they're 21-25. and 25. Of course, I've had a rough road trip at 1-3, and three, and now you lose Anthony Davis out one to two weeks of a left index finger sprain. But are you surprised to see the Pelicans at this record right now based on kind of how they did last year and the expectations for this year? I am. You know, I was really impressed with them last year. And, uh, you know, the, I, I thought they were kind of on the upswing. I think everybody in New Orleans felt that way, too. You know, you win a playoff series against a tough Portland team. Um, you know, I felt like they were in a great place. And they've got a world-class player that you can build around. And Anthony Davis and they had really, really nice pieces. I think Drew Holiday is one of those extremely underrated talents around the league. Um, as that second scorer and primary defender. and I just kind of saw New Orleans uh, as ready to take that next step. But, you know, I, I, I'm not so critical of them um, than a lot of others because I, I do recognize the injuries that they've had. And, you know, and you're not going um, to get a lot of sympathy around the league. But, man, they, they've dealt with a lot. They've dealt with a lot of injuries as far as rotations. You know, those rotations matter and the connections in the rotations, um, it means a lot. You know, I, I spent nine years with the San Antonio Spurs and I saw a continuity there that, you know, I feel like Tim Duncan was is kind of the Anthony Davis. You know, that, that was the set. You had the spine of a franchise player, but then you had all these other 
at the time were complementary pieces that became really great pieces that were developed. You know, guys like Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker. And so, but they were healthy for the most part and they played together really well. And then they, they were able to build a, a roster of complementary pieces that all accepted their roles. And so I, I felt like, um, New Orleans was there. You know, I, I know Alvin is trying to get to that position where you, you have a team around a superstar and that's not easy to do sometimes but um i do think the injuries have have hurt them also they have a couple of expiring contracts that you know for what it for whatever reason it just it happens sometimes when guys are demanding the ball and you know if they you know they want to make sure they get paid too and i'm not saying um i'm not saying those players are selfish i just think it's a little different dynamic so uh, I'm curious to see how they come out of this, and if they can come out of it, I do think they can. Obviously, they're going to need to play some some defense at some point, uh, but I do think they will be able to settle back into somewhat normalcy because I like the way they they got their roster back minus AD in the next couple of weeks, maybe. But I like the way their roster fits, and you know they're just they're running out of time though. You got to get things going. Um, before you start, you get to the All-Star break. Trade deadline's February 6th, so they're going to have to get moving here in the next couple of weeks to uh, to have a turnaround. You're absolutely right about that. Um, let's go to the opposite side here and talk about the Memphis Grizzlies who are going in the wrong direction as well um, on a five-game losing streak, 19-27, and 27, when you've been doing your prep work on the Grizzlies and you've been seeing their last few games. What kind of sticks out to you as far as the Grizzlies and their struggles right now? Well, I think on paper you say, okay, uh, Memphis and New Orleans are in very similar positions, right? Are, are they going to trade some pieces? Are you going to try to build for the future? But I, I would say my eyes tell me New Orleans and Memphis are on completely different arcs. Um, you know, Memphis is getting into a position now where they have aging stars who have been healthy. They are beloved in the city, Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley, beloved. You know, they played together 11 years. Uh, they kind of built a reputation, the grit and grind reputation, and they made it to a Western Conference Finals. And that was just six years ago, actually, and they've been a perennial playoff team seven in a row before last year. Um, I'm not sure how much better they can get. You know, I mean, you've got early 30s, aging stars who are making a lot of money and Chandler Parsons who is making a lot of money and still technically active with the team. He's a healthy inactive, but he's not with the team. So I think for Memphis, you know, you have to take a really hard look at what you can get now. If you trade some big pieces, there would be plenty of teams lining up to make a deal for a Conley or a Gasol, but, there's the other part of it too that they're, you know, this is a very tight community with their team. And do you rip that away from them, um, this community? And they, you know, they love their players here. And both of those players, Gasol went to high school here in Memphis, came over from Spain when Powell was playing here. And I mean, he's entrenched in this community. And Mike Conley is about as good as it gets, you know, in the humanitarian side. So that's a tough pill to swallow too. Um, they're in a really tough place. They've got some talent. Jaron Jackson Jr. is 19, and he is could be a transcendent player for them. He could be the next piece to build around. 
Uh, I like his game a lot. I saw, I saw him a lot last year at Michigan State, and know his dad well. Obviously, Jaron, who played for the Spurs and a number of teams, world champion with the Spurs back in '99. So, um, you know, I, they're in a tough spot, man. I, I do not envy their position because they could they could lose their players with nothing in return, and now you're stuck. Or or you try to make a few deals and, and try to hit a home run here. Uh, and, and get some pieces back and then start to work towards the future. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Memphis in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the trade deadline will be really interesting for a lot of teams, and these two teams that are playing today are certainly in the conversation. I want to touch on two things, one on each conference before I let you go, and I want to start with the Western Conference and start with the Rockets and James Harden, who, again, Harden's been playing lights out. Um, in the last month or so, has James Harden saved the Rockets' season, Brian, just based on the fact that you lose Chris Paul, they seem like they don't miss a beat. Now Clint Capella's out four to six weeks, and they continue to play well. Has Harden saved this Rockets' season for you? I wouldn't go as far as say to save it. I mean, I guess it depends on what context you're saying that, but I, I, they were, they're going to be a playoff team. You know, they're, they're going to be in the postseason. That's a given. But James Harden has proven that he doesn't need some of those complimentary pieces. I mean, they've been better without Chris Paul. He's certainly been better. Uh, Capella is a really important piece to that puzzle, but James Harden's one of the few guys that can, like LeBron James, can elevate a very mediocre roster to a championship level because of how dangerous he is. And still has pros around him, but I saw a great stat to, uh, you know, they're on TNT tonight after us, but 163 uh, points he has scored without an assist. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. Like, that's remarkable to me, right, that he could score that many points without an assist in this current stretch he's on. Um, and it gives you a sense of what their offense is, you know, and then they've got some real grinders defensively that can, that can, that can hunker down and play really well. And I, so, yeah, I mean, it's proven to me that the Rockets have something without CP3 or without Capella. They're going to be a little better when they come back, but uh, I'm not sure how much better. I actually like the Harden-Capella combination more than a Harden-Chris Paul scenario. But they're still going to be really – they're going to be formidable in the playoffs. So I, don't, I wouldn't say they saved their season, but I think it has given – it has proved – kind of what we've all thought and had a hunch about that James Harden is one of the few that can make a mediocre team elite. Yeah, that stat that you just mentioned about the 163 points without an assist is incredible. I'm going to have to use that stat, that's for sure. Um, one more quick question for you about the Eastern Conference. You have the Bucks, who are the number one seed overall and uh, even the best team in the NBA record-wise right now. Are you more surprised with them being the number one team in the East or how about Boston that's kind of faltered a little bit now is number five in the Eastern Conference. Which one surprises you the most, Brian? I'd say Milwaukee. You know, I, I, um, I'm impressed with what they're doing. I like the idea of, you know, there's more freedom. There's more, Brooke Lopez has been a, just a huge impact in Milwaukee. Um, he can shoot the three nowadays. Last few years, he's really been a threat. If you talk to, talk to the personnel of the Lakers, they'll tell you, you know, one of the pieces they missed, a great deal is, is Lopez. Um, 
So he's brought, he's brought him a, a little different element. He's allowed them to space the floor for Giannis. And, you know, Giannis is one of those players. I, I put him in that Harden and LeBron category, MVP-type player that can make everybody around him that much better. He's one of those guys. And so <clears throat> I, I'm a little concerned about the Bucks in the postseason uh, all, I, only because I've seen it with Atlanta and, you know, Mike Budenholzer is a great coach and it's a team that has had some great regular seasons with the Hawks. Um, but man, the, to rely on the three ball as much when things get more packed in in the, in the playoffs, uh, Giannis is not going to have as much room to play. And I, I worry a little bit about that. I had the Bucks and the Celtics in the postseason last year and I felt like Brad Stevens just did a, terrific job uh, with the game plan against the Bucks, And that was a tremendous series, went seven games. Um, so that, that I want to just, I, I think they can overcome it maybe because they have some shooting and multiple shooters, um, but I want to see it. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant yet to anoint them. Boston, uh, I, I think Boston is going to eventually be the best team in the East. Um I just feel like they have too much talent. I think their coach is fantastic. I think they're so built for the playoffs. Um, minus injuries, of course. They could have injuries, but uh, I love Horford's game, and then they have a lot of weapons, you know. And then Kyrie is just like the crazy talented point guard, leader, scorer, everything that they didn't have last year in the playoffs, and they still made a great run. Uh, their problem now is just trying to – maintain some confidence with some of their younger guys and guys like Rozier and Brown who really played well in the playoffs last year that aren't getting as many touches uh, this year and you know Gordon Hayward's coming off the bench and so they just kind of I think they're just getting through the regular season they're playing well and I know it's you know they're they're approaching it that way but they're watching minutes and they're making sure they're going to be healthy they're going to continue to get better as you get zeroed in on the playoffs so I feel like, obviously, uh, you know, Toronto, Indiana, Milwaukee, Boston, those are all formidable. I still like the Sixers, too. I know there's a little dysfunction there, but uh, that's a team, again, you get to the playoffs, it, it operates a little differently, and they've got a great weapon in Embiid. Uh, in so I, I, I like the Sixers, too. I, I think it's wide open in the East. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to see how the East turns out and how it plays out down the stretch with all those five teams you mentioned, that's for sure. That's Brian Anderson. He'll be a part of TNT's MLK Day triple header, of course, calling the network's Pelicans at Grizzlies game. You can watch it at 4.30 p.m. Central Time. He'll have the call with Grant Hill and Ross Gold on Wu Day. And, of course, TNT's triple header will also feature the defending champion Warriors visiting the Lakers and the Rockets at Sixers. Brian, I appreciate the time. I'll see you over at the arena in the next couple hours, and um, have a good call today. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks for having me. There he goes. That's Brian Anderson again. He'll be on the call for TNT at 4.30 p.m. Central. But, of course, we want you to also listen in on the local coverage, which will be on News Talk 99.5 WRNO. Sean Kelly and I will have the call from the FedEx Forum here on MLK Day. 4 p.m. I'll have Pelicans warm up for you. And then 4.30 is where our coverage will start as well. I know this is a tough day, Saints fans and everyone in the Crescent City, but the city has handled so much adversity over the years, and I know they will overcome this it's not going to be easy to get over. You might not get over it for a couple weeks, a couple months, or until the next season starts. But this future is bright for this New Orleans Saints team. And again, the fans were unbelievable throughout the season. The passion that they have for this team 
is is probably the best fan base in in the National Football League. I'm not just being biased about it. I think that's the absolute truth. And what you all did in the Dome yesterday, I think certainly backs that up. So again, it's not going to be easy, and we'll try to you know do as best we can to kind of get over it. But I appreciate you joining me today as we talk about it. It's a tough conversation to be had with JD, um, of course, with the ref situation and all that. But we'll get through it, and of course, hopefully, we'll get you through it with a Pelicans win today. Again, you can watch and listen at 4.30 p.m. Central. Sean Kelly will be back on Wednesday for his version of the Black and Blue Report. Hope you can all join us once again. And uh, you never know who will stop by, as we say, on this podcast. Big thanks to Mario Derez from Studio B. He'll also be on the coverage for Pelicans and Grizzlies tonight on the radio. And I'll do it for the Monday edition. And until Wednesday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Black and Blue Report.